Hi, everybody. I want to add my welcome to Janet's welcome. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I am in New York and I'm really happy to be here and, and welcome to those that are new, um, especially those that you know are really new to recovery or looking to get well. I'm really happy that you're here and hopefully you'll find, you know, what you're looking for. You'll find some information um, that might be useful to you. So um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, tonight I'm going to discuss the appendix, um, which is this spiritual experience. Um, last time, Janet, did we agnostics and um you know, we agnostics has uh, an asterisk in it and a point that asks you to then turn to the spiritual experience for more information. So, um, you know, I, I want to say like um, the appendix isn't necessarily read in isolation. It's um, because an appendix is a section of extra information that's added at the end of a book you know, it's supplementary material, usually attached at the end of a piece of writing. And um, so it's meant to add important information. It's meant to supplement important information. And and so add to what? Like, that's the question. Like, if this is going to supplement, what needs to be supplemented? And I think it's, you know, it's crucial for us to look where the asterisk comes in the text. So um, what are the paragraphs that point us to the appendix? And what are these paragraphs saying that might require some supplemental explanation and information for us? So if you turn to page 27 in the book, it says, some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. It sounds pretty hopeless, right? That's pretty, that's like a, yikes. Like nobody as bad as me is going to get well, right? Um, our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with the client. And like, I remember feeling that experience as well. Like just, oh gosh, I'm never gonna get out of this on my own, right? He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, of these men are suddenly cast to one side and in a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And it says here, you know, I've been trying to produce some of those in you. I mean, the stalker's been trying to get this to happen for this guy. 
with many individuals, methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. So when I read that, you know, and then it points you to the spiritual experience, it, a spiritual experience sounds like a huge change that happens to a person. And the way that one thinks, feels, and behaves gets moved away. And a whole new way of thinking, feeling, and behaving takes over. Our life perspective gets completely overhauled. That's a spiritual experience. That the way that you view life, the way that you participate in your life, gets completely overhauled, redone. And we agnostics now, it says, on page 46, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to affect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction provided we took other simple steps. So a spiritual experience is going to provide you with a new sense of power and a new sense of direction. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is all inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. So this spiritual experience is not going to be so difficult. It's not going to be something that's just reserved for a few elite people, right? It's open to all men and women, right? Men and women. Um, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. And this applies to other spiritual expressions, which you will find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence growth, uh, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. And afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which seemed entirely out of reach. So a spiritual experience also means that we are going to accept many things which at one time we thought we could never accept. And that was growth. But if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or he is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. And I think that really opens the door wide because believing is not required at this point. It's are you willing to believe? Are you willing to do everything in your power so that you will believe, so that you can believe? Are you willing to meet God where he's at, right? It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. And then 
there's the asterisk and it's remi we're reminded to be sure to read the appendix too, which is, you know, for me is something I never would have done on my own. Like I would have ignored appendixes, just like I ignored forwards. Like it wasn't, but clearly they want us to read it, right? Clearly it's important enough that they put it in there and they're telling us to read it. And because it's gonna help make sense of something here that says inconceivable. It's gonna take that which is inconceivable to us and help us make it conceivable. It's gonna help us go from not believing to making the bridge to being willing to believe. I think that's the purpose of the appendix. It's the, it's, it helps us, it, it's the, um, I would say it's like in the classroom, it's the differentiated instruction. It's that extra piece of remediation for the suffering student, for the one who needs help. So I've been repeatedly told in the book that all of the step one chapters, right? Over and over, step one is all about that on my own, I cannot overcome this disease. That it's impossible on my own making you know, for me, I, my step one understanding was I am a woman who's going to require a miracle. That's what it means to be without power, that I'm going to need something miraculous to come in. And that that miraculous thing is a relationship with God, you know, and here presents the idea of a spiritual awakening. So the terms, now we're going to look at the appendix, right? Now that I know why I'm going to need that appendix, that it's here to remediate here to help me. It says here, the terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So this paragraph is telling us what is a spiritual awakening or what's a spiritual experience. It's simply a personality change. It's a new personality, which sounds, you know, when you read that, it's like, mm, that sounds really earthly. That doesn't sound so esoteric and difficult. It sounds pretty like basic, right? Um, and it doesn't even sound that spiritual after all. It's like personality, right? Um, so you might be thinking, like I remembered at one point I was, why should my personality change? Why do I have to change my personality? Can't I just change my food plan? Can't you just give me a better diet? Well, if I had power, then a food plan alone would work. But I don't have power. So I'm told here that in order to access this power, I need a new personality, right? And, you know, if you think you don't have a personality problem, right? just a food problem. What if I like myself, right? Why do I need my personality change? What if I like myself just as I am? You know, I like the way I do things. I'm quite happy with the person I am inside. And I can answer that quite simply. Well, if you like yourself so much, why are you killing her with food? If you like this person, why are you eating in a way that you're killing yourself? Maybe you have more of a personality problem than you think. If you know you have an eating problem and you keep on eating, 
that sounds like there's something wrong with your personality, that your personality is doing things that is not in your own best interest. And so I think it's good for us to look at what is a personality anyway, right? If we're talking about this personality is gonna have to change, what is a personality? Well, personality is defined as the characteristic sets of behaviors, of cognitions, right? Our thinking, our behavior, our emotional patterns. So it's the way we think, it's the way we feel, it's the way we behave. And these come about from either biology, either some things you're just born a certain way, or it was your environment, your circumstances, you know? And, and either of which is really irrelevant. So if you had a set of circumstances growing up that you think destroyed your personality, don't worry, there's hope for you too. Or if you think, I don't know, I was just born like this and I've always suffered like that, there's hope for you too, right? It doesn't matter which way you came by this disease. And most theories view personality though as relatively stable. Like, I think it's interesting that they say, you know, if you like read any research about it, it says that the way people behave, think and feel kind of gets fixed in place by a certain point. It says like some people are, you know, are born more nervous and fearful and some people are just naturally more shy and others are just more outgoing and, you know, and then you take these natural tendencies and you kind of like, I don't know, add two parts parents, right? Add a handful of siblings, add a school situation, add a neighborhood, add a religious, you know, affiliation, add an upbringing, combine it all together, right? You get this personality. And it says that most people's personality kind of gets locked in place by a certain age. Except we have a program where we're counting on a miracle. And so God can certainly override things that happen for most people that get fixed in place. You know, a spiritual experience means that the things that I do, the things that I think, the things that the way I feel, what I like, what I don't like, what scares me, what thrills me, what challenges me, what disappoints me, what puzzles me, all those things will change for the better. That's what happens. That it's a personality that's a positive change in personality. That there's been a huge improvement. I believe I have a better personality today and although experts might say personalities don't normally change, well, we know that this is a result of the miraculous hand of God, that God comes in and does the impossible. And now the wonderful part about this personality change is that it is sufficient, powerful enough to remove the insanity of the magnetic pull of the food. You know, and when, when Janet was talking in the beginning, I know tomorrow is Halloween. I actually forgot that there's an association between candy and Halloween. And actually, before I came home tonight, I stopped at the store on the way to buy things for my class to make with food. But somehow I'm able, like that to me is, is a miraculous feeling. That's a personality, you know, change that I, it's sort of like I forgot that 
that food is related to Halloween and that that would even be something at one time that was a really big deal for me and really difficult. You know, um, I'd say like my personality has been revised. In recovery, people's personality gets re revised. It's like, you know, I don't know, Melissa 2.0. It's like the better model, right? It's upgraded, it's improved. The things I like, the things that excite me, the things I no longer care for or the things that I'm interested in are different. And I behave differently and I think differently. My perspective and my worldview are not the same. You know, for me, I've had this like overwhelming optimism that has just like rushed in. And it's not that I'm not aware of what's happening around me, but it's sort of like I live in this wonderful place hovering above reality. So sometimes things are really difficult around me and I know that they're hard and it doesn't mean that I'm blind to it, but it somehow doesn't permeate this deep part of me that, you know, I feel safe and protective within circumstances. Um, you know, the word that's pervasive all throughout the steps is change. That's the big word. And I think the spiritual awakening is the awareness that God has taken us as if we were just a ball of clay and reshaped us into far more useful forms. Still having all the different pieces of us in there, right? But it does something much different with us. And, you know, people often have this fear that they're not gonna like who they become, right? That you hear that sometimes. And in the chapter of Vision for You on page 152, it alludes to that, it states it so clearly. It says, yes, I'm willing, but am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum, like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, in my case, food, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? And I can only share with you what I've noticed. I have not found people in recovery <laughs> to be boring and stupid at all, by, and, you know, not by a long time. In fact, what I have seen, what I've witnessed are people who come alive. They come in like the walking dead and they, they, they come alive in recovery. They begin to have a new passion for living. God does not turn us into one homogenous mush. You know, um, what God seems to do is to keep the best parts of us and makes them better, more pronounced and more useful. And the parts that weren't so great, he tweaks and changes it or even just removes it all together. But he doesn't remove the essence of what it means to be you. I'd say in recovery, I'm more me. I'm the me that I was intended to be. I'm the best form of me. You know, it says here, yes, it's true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described, though it was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. 
So people might believe that there's got to be a sudden change. And I remembered thinking that I was stuck at step two because I didn't feel God at step two. I was like, I'm not feeling it. That God consciousness, I thought, was the definition of step two. But that's not what step two is. I thought that at step two, I would get this powerful awareness of God that I would change almost magically. And then I would be able to change into this great person. Okay, actually, I didn't even care about being a great person. That's a lie. What I really wanted was to change into a strong person who could be thin and disciplined. That's what I thought step two was going to do. It was going to whoosh, you know, make me into this new person who was strong, who was disciplined, who would be thin. And if that's what you're thinking, you know, chances are you're not aware, right? But thankfully, we're mistaken. Of course, there are stories of fellows who had white light mo mo moments, right? But if you haven't, it doesn't mean that you can't get well. That's what this spiritual experience is going to explain to us. Because among, among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. So yes, there are people who get these great moments, but they're not the rule. Most of us experience what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety. So most people don't get that bright light, white light moment. Most of us have what develops slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. And I actually find that quite often the sponsor becomes aware of the differences in the sponsee long before the sponsee is. And oftentimes that's one of the greatest pleasures of working with someone is when you can point out to them, you know, you're sounding different. You didn't say that before. You used to say blank and that we get this wonderful opportunity to show them just how, how the transformation is unfolding. And that people finally realize that they've undergone a profound alteration in their reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone, right? So we know that these changes, although we cooperate, we participate, they're not done by us. They're done to us. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Think about that. What we're being told here is that this power greater than ourselves actually is inside us, comes inside us, and gives us an inner resource, right? It's like, I just think that's, what a beautiful gift we receive that we get something inside us that gives us the ability to do that, which we could not do by ourselves. So most people's personalities do not change overnight. 
And instead, they've got this educational transformation through, and what is educational transformation? It's through instruction, right? So you're given instructions, hopefully good, clear direction, proper instruction. Information, right? We're giving correct information. Illumination, where things are brought to light for you. And enlightening. They change ever so slowly in measured increments, right? In parentheses, measured increments, steps. That's how we change. In steps, we change. So step by step, we begin to change. And the people around us, usually our sponsors, begin to notice our changes before the addict does. It's one of the most rewarding parts of sponsoring. And I would say, you know, as you're having these changes in measured increments, one of the things that begins to happen is I'd say when you're taking the steps correctly, when you're really doing it, there is a natural progression where it's like your foot, it wants to go to the next step. It's like you're ready. It's oftentimes people are hungry. You know, once they find out step two, there's this power greater than them, themselves. They're like, okay, I want this power. I want to give my life over to this power. And then when they reach that point, oftentimes what happens is they want to find out what's in the way of me doing that, right? And then once they find out what's in the way of them doing it, they want to, I want to get some feedback. Help me. I want to tell you so that you can help me, right? There's this natural progression. And one of the most incredible things I find happens when you can really feel that people have had this transformation is when they're nearing step 12. They can't wait to start helping people. Happens often. The sponsee will say, oh, I've been talking to this old friend of mine that I used to go to meetings with. And I and I really want to share love. And I mean, this happens. Probably people are sitting here thinking, oh, you're you're just taking that from the conversation you just had with me. Except this is a regular. This happens all the time. It's a natural when we take these steps in measured increments. This is what it means to have the educational transformation that happens. You know, um, the doctor's opinion talks about this wonderful opportunity that we get to see people, you know, um, they come in trembling, despairing, a nervous wreck, and they emerge brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. That's a personality change, right? If you come in trembling, you know, the doctor's describing how people have been transformed. And I've seen it too. You know, I'm going to share some examples. I think examples of how people have have transformed are really encouraging for newcomers. And I think they're encouraging for, for all of us. Nothing's more, you know, um, exciting and powerful than to hear the miraculous power of God, how God performs miracles. So here's some things that I've seen, right? Some of them are my own transformations. And here are some that I've gotten an opportunity to witness. Gorgeous transformations. Someone who hates their coworker, hates their boss. Every time you talk to them, they've got a complaint about their boss and their lousy coworker. Suddenly, 
or not so suddenly through working the steps, this same person has compassion for their coworkers, has, has heart and feeling for their boss, and actually begins to find likable traits and characteristics, begins to see that, wow, that person is really working hard at their job and I wouldn't necessarily want to do what they do. Or suddenly finds themselves just undisturbed. Like, yeah, that person might be that way, but it's not really bothering me anymore, right? Um, I've seen people, myself, unable to be alone without eating. There was a time that I could not be in my house alone for fear that I was going to eat. And today, I'm actually really happy when the house, when no one's home for a little bit. And I can be alone for a little bit and just read a book in peace, right? And don't even think about food. I used to be someone, and I'm sure other people have, who people would have to hide their stash from, whatever their food was. I would ask them, please hide it from me. I can't stand it in the house. To now, the hiding place in this house is the rooms that I do my meeting in. They hide the food from each other in my in my room, which is, you know, my meeting space, there'll be food in the closet here because I've had a personality change. The food means nothing to me. You know, I've seen people, here's another crazy thing that I've seen again and again. I've seen people who have, who feel that they have mistreated their pets, who have not taken care of their dog or, or have not been a great dog owner, really didn't even like their dog suddenly feeling like responsible and and beginning to train their dog. Like who would have thought that that would have been a part of the directions in the 12 steps. But sometimes as we start making our amends, we start seeing the creatures around us that have been in our care. And there's this natural, as we help them, I've seen people fall in love with their pets, which is like, you know, talk about a personality change. I've seen people spend all their free time vegging out in front of the TV, unable to get on Facebook, unable to get on Instagram, to suddenly finding themselves being able to watch a show and shut it off, right? Um, I've seen people who argue and fight with everybody, who argue and fight with their neighbors, with their in-laws, with their coworkers, with their spouse, who are ready for divorce, who are like, had it, to someone who just doesn't get worked up that way. I've seen relationships get fixed through the result of these steps. I've seen people who were terrified of their loved ones dying, who were afraid to let their kids drive in cars with their spouse because they had fear that the whole family was gonna right get, who just don't have that fear at all anymore, who just don't live that way anymore. Those people feel instead appreciative of the gifts of the present. They're just enjoying their family in right here and now. I've seen people who can't get out of bed for a meeting in the morning. It's like pulling teeth to convince them that they're going to need to get up a half an hour earlier for prayer and meditation. To people who tell me they wouldn't miss it for the world. It's the best part of their day, right? They can't wait to get up and spend time with God. Or they delight 
in being on meetings. They're happy. I hear people who hate making outreach calls, who fight over it. Do I have to reach three people? Can I just call three people? To people telling me, oh my gosh, I had the best conversations with, you know, who come to delight in it. These are personality changes. So if you've had a profound alteration like these, it becomes clear that it wasn't you that changed you. Of course you cooperate with the change. Of course you follow the direction. But the actual change was done to you and not by you. I could not make myself like something. That's God's job. But God seems to do that. When I put myself unreservedly in his care and I take the actions, God does the miraculous. He changes my personality, the things that I like to do. How it works, you know, talks about God being our new employer. And so when I turn myself over to my new employer, my new employer doesn't just make me stomach doing those things. He actually changes that I like to do them. He takes the things I have to do and makes it what I like. You know, most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. And our more religious members call it God consciousness. So this awareness that was an unsuspected inner resource, that's the God consciousness. The realization that God has done for you, that which you have not done for yourself. It's the experiencing the ninth step promises, knowing that you didn't do that to yourself. So most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. So the spiritual experience impresses the understanding that we have to be honest, absolutely, and open-minded to all spiritual concepts. And I love, you know, how Janet says that when I'm dishonest, it's like writing with a black Sharpie across my heart, keep out God. So if you want to have a spiritual experience, you are going to be honest, right? It's a requirement. I need to be, and I need to be tolerant. I need to be tolerant, you know, of my understanding, you know, and not to be smug and self-righteous. The way of looking down on others as though I have to tolerate them, but by rather I have to strengthen myself. So I'm not paying such close attention to every little feeling of discomfort. To me, that's the buildup of my time. I can learn to tolerate others, their ideas, their perspectives, and accept that different people do things differently, right? I can just accept it. I have to get a little thicker skinned. That's part of having a spiritual awakening too. I can accept that I'm not going to get my way most of the time. It's called life. Even if my way is the right way, I'm still not going to get my way most of the time. The less I'm attached to my outcomes, the more I trust God. And that's how I begin to have a spiritual experience. The more I trust God, the more I find my faith strength. My faith is strengthened. 
if I'm not practicing belligerent denial, remember, we don't want belligerent denial, then what am I living with? I'm living with an easygoing, open-minded, amicable acceptance. It's a decision to allow God to move me from being a skeptic with an eagle eye for others' flaws to someone who's open to the miraculous and overlooks imperfections in others. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. We don't have to have any difficulty with this. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And there's a principle which is a bar, a block, against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. And this is one of my, probably one of my favorite paragraphs in here, because it tells me exactly what my problem has been to having a spiritual experience. It's been contempt. My contempt, the feeling that it's beneath my consideration, feeling superior, right? That it's worthless, that it's deserving of scorn. It's a disregard for something that I should have taken into account. This was how I viewed God before. This was how I viewed spirituality. This was how I viewed religion. And worse was that I never investigated. It's contempt without even looking. God wants us to look for him. That's what this tells me. He wants me to see. If you're wondering how you can have a spiritual experience, start by looking for one. One of the best ways that I can think of starting to look for a spiritual experience is start listening to how others found God. That is the greatest way that I can begin to have my own spiritual experience, which is why we're always told that when we share our story, the purpose of telling our story to others is to help them hear how this program enabled us to find our own relationship with God. That God is always to be the hero of our story. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks.